Um, God, I pray that you would grow us in, um, in our appetite for your word. Um, help us to long for the delight that comes from being in your word and your word only, the comfort um, to our souls that your truth is. Um, I pray that for those of us who struggle with it, um, I pray that you would show us how to discipline ourselves, how to choose um, the best over the good. And I pray that um, your spirit would just see through me tonight, that you would work, um, that you would keep people awake, and that you would um, that you would um, be glorified during this time. In Jesus' name I pray. So you guys should be getting a handout. Um, actually, Nikki, can I get one of those too? I forgot to go. All right, so our passage today is 1 Timothy 6, 4, 6 through 10. And um, I wanted to start over this story. Um, in my previous life, I was an engineer, and I worked at a semiconductor manufacturing factory. Um, I had a boss whose name was Paul. He was amazing. He was so funny. And one day in the cafeteria at work, we were eating lunch as a group, as we often did, and I had a cup of water, like, at my seat. And Paul looks at it and says, with a mischievous look, careful no one salts your water by your God. Um, meaning, if I got up, my innocent water cup could be filled with salt by some unnamed person named Paul. Um, that, and I'd have a horrible, gag-inducing, salty surprise when I took a long drink instead of the refreshing drink that I was expecting. And it'd be really hard to tell. I mean, a cup with salt water in it looks the same from the outside as a cup with real water. But only one is the real thing that satisfies your thirst, and the other is a counterfeit that when you drink from it, leaves you thirsty. So I want to challenge you guys, where are we drinking from every day? Um, let's look at verse 7 of our passage. It reads, Have nothing to do with irreverent silliness, but rather train yourselves for godliness. And here the Apostle Paul is addressing false teachers who are leading people away from the true gospel. Um, if you look at verse 3, of this chapter, we see that the, uh, in this case there were false teachers teaching that people shouldn't get married and they shouldn't eat certain foods. And these teachings had nothing to do with God. They were irreverent and they were silly. Um, the Bible never says, says that. Um, they weren't based on anything substantial and certainly not based on the Word of God. And the people hearing this false teaching, believing that the false teachers were right, were really confused. And we can identify with this in many ways. In our day and age, there are also many voices in our lives, including our own sometimes, speaking irreverent, sowing myths into our lives. Even if we wouldn't say we're voracious readers, we all read things. Uh, we take in the messages of the world and someone is speaking into our lives about how we live. Everywhere we go, <clears throat> and on our phones, texts, emails, and other messages are messages offering the promise of happiness and fulfillment through buying a product, experience, or maybe having a social status. One article I found says that we as a society spend about four hours a day on our phones, which amounts to over five years of our lives spent on our phones. That's a lot of reading we're doing. 
Will we click on these messages and drink in those salt water words which are empty and leave us thirsty for more? Our lives, and especially our phones, are designed such that we are drawn in and we fear missing out if we're not constantly checking them. Rather than partake of the feast of God's word, we feast instead on ads, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook. Um, and I'm not saying that these things have no value at all, but only that we pick the good over the best. We need to be proactive in having Christ speak into our lives, or the world and its views will inundate us. If we can spend a few hours a day on our phones, surely we can find 10 minutes in there somewhere to read and meditate on God's word. So Paul, as a response to these irreverencing myths, he says, rather than indulge in the myths of this world, we are to pursue godliness. Every day we get up, we are faced with the choice. Do we slip into the social media, internet, whatever your stumbling block, um, the vortex, and drink in words of a worldly counterfeit gospel? Or will we drink in the words of eternal life that are forever satisfying? Please don't mishear me. I don't, I'm not saying that social media is evil or that we should be withdrawn from the world and technology. I'm not saying you should get rid of your phones or anything like that. I'm merely saying that the primary goal of our lives should be the pursuit of godliness, and that should be reflected somehow in the things that we do and are reading on our phones. Our discipline leads us to delight in our maker, drinking deeply from his word. When we take time to pursue godliness first in our day, then we are equipped and grounded to interact with the messages we hear on social media and speak into them in a meaningful way and with a biblical perspective saturated with the gospel. Um, now let's look at verse 8 and verse 10. Um, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also the life to come. Skipping over to 10. For this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the savior of all people, especially those who believe. So the goal of our scripture reading isn't just to do our Christian duty and check off all the right boxes. It's not to feel good about yourself because I went to a church or I cracked up in my Bible, check. Um, scripture reading isn't what makes you holy, but it's the means by which you pursue godliness. According to Paul, we read scripture and pursue godliness because the gospel that saved us gives us hope, not only for heaven, but in our present day lives as well. Verse 8 says, the value of godliness is its promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Scripture is intended to reach all parts of our lives. It changes us, refining us, and shows us our sin through the work of the Spirit. It reminds us that Christ is with us and cares about our present circumstances, and also reminds us that death is real, and that this world is not there is. We are meant for another home, where sin is defeated, death destroyed, and everything made right. This is the hope, and this is of value in every way. Knowing our future hope um, in heaven helps us to persevere when we taste the brokenness of the world. So that's why Paul says, godliness is a is of value in every way because it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. There's nothing else that gives you this hope because there is no true hope outside of Christ. Which water are you drinking from? Are you drinking from living water that quenches your thirst or salt water? 
When we're struggling, God becomes small and our problems become big. And the order of things is reversed. And scripture's truth in being saturated in God's word writes all this. Instead of people and problems being infinitely large and powerful, the Spirit helps us to behold our infinitely powerful God and his absolute control and care for us in all things. Um, And when we read scripture, we get a glimpse of heaven because we get a picture of the person and heart of God. We delight in knowing our maker because this is the very thing that we were made to do and the reason we we were created. Um, You guys know what the Westminster Catechism of Faith says that the chief end of man is? You guys know this, right? Chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. But how do we know who God is if uh, and enjoy him if we're not even reading his word? When we're reading God's word and communing with him, we are satisfying this glorifying God and enjoying him forever. And this is the most human thing we can ever do because it's what we were created for. So the king of the universe is inviting us into his throne room, calling us his daughters, and um, invites us to feast on his grace. You're knowing his heart, his ways, his character, and these are things that we only know by his word through the spirit. What are we drinking from? Are we drinking from the things that truly delight and satisfy? Um, So now let's move on and talk about the other D. The D that nobody wants to talk about, discipline. When we talk about discipline, there's no way we can talk about it without remembering everything we just talked about, the delight, the hope of Christ. Discipline and delight are two sides of the same coin. If you forget delight without, with, <clears throat> if you forget delight while talking about discipline, you can be you can become um, legalistic in your Bible reading. And if you if you forget discipline while talking about delight, you drift towards emotionalism that's not grounded in the truth of God's word. Now studies show that only about 19% of churchgoers read their Bibles every day. Um, that's not very much. And a similar amount, say, about 20% say, well, I never read my Bible. And the rest of the 60% of the churchgoers are somewhere in between. So, you know, thinking about where we all are on the spectrum, I think Bible reading seems to be something that most of us really do want to grow in. Um, so what's preventing you from spending time in God's Word or learning about God? My answers would be, one, I'm too busy, two, I'm not disciplined, um, I get easily distracted, or maybe maybe you don't know what the Bible is about. I think when I was a Christian, I was like, I, I didn't, I mean, when I first became a Christian, I didn't know where to begin. You know, the Bible is this big book, and I didn't um, grow up in church, I didn't know any of the stories, and everyone seemed just ahead of me. Um, another reason, that I don't read my Bible is I would say I'm not a reader. Um, and I think 1 Timothy 4 speaks to that in a very clear way. In 1 Timothy 4, 7, Paul commands Timothy, train yourself for godliness. That is, he's to train or discipline himself spiritually, much like someone who trained their body for the purpose of being fit. The payoff, as we've talked about, is godliness and delight, which gives us the promise of the present life and also for the life to come. 
And that applies to Timothy's life, and it's also a command for us. Verse 6 of our passage says, If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and the good doctrine you had followed. Note the phrase, the words of the faith and good doctrine. That is a very explicit reference to scripture. Scripture is to be our trainer and our teacher. We discipline ourselves so that we may delight in him, drinking deeply from his word. Um, there can be also this expectation that um, I think in Christian circles that to do a quiet time well, for instance, quiet times need to be these amazing spiritual mountain top experiences where God speaks, a dove descends, and your bright light shines from above and goes, whoa! And while that can technically happen from time to time, many times our experience of scripture reading is more like what Paul describes in verse 10, toil and striving. Notice that the disciplines, Paul calls them toil, they're not always easy. I mean, have you ever tried to read through the book of Leviticus, Numbers, or any of the genealogies? <laughs> then you know what I mean. Um, I've heard Leviticus um, called the place where Bible reading plans go to die. <laughs> or the Brussels sprouts of the Bible. You know, nobody wants to eat them. <laughs> Even getting to the end of certain books of the Bible is a battle. And that's what Paul's talking about here. That's toil. This is part of the fall. And sometimes we will have amazing times with the Lord, and we're grateful when the Spirit moves. And other times, we're just called to be faithful to read and to pray. Consistency and not quality is more important here. It's better that you've read your Bible five or ten minutes every day, and you have one amazing quiet time every month. Let's look at... Deuteronomy 17, um, 18 through 20. Um, <clears throat> this is part of an instruction given to the king of Israel. And when he, the king, sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical, Levitical priests, and it shall be with him, and he shall read it in all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord by keeping all the words of his law and these statutes and doing them, that his heart may not be lifted above his brothers, and he may not turn aside from the commandment either to the right hand or to the left, that he may continue long into his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. And we see here that even the king of Israel was instructed to write for himself a copy of the law, who was to keep it with him at all times, and read it for all the days of his life. You can't get more clear than that. The king himself was commanded to read scripture on a daily basis. And that's the example we are called to follow. I wanted also to point out that in those days, not everyone had a copy of God's word, and most of the intake of God's word was done orally, or um, by hearing it. Um, nowadays, we are rich in our Bibles. My kids have like 14 different children's Bibles. And nowadays, we all have our own personal Bibles, maybe even copy, uh, multiple copies. And we need to see these as kingly riches that we delight in, that the people living in the time of the writing of Deuteronomy could only dream of. So even though that there is a cost and that the work is often hard, when we discipline ourselves and work towards this goal, we're living out our true identities as daughters of the Most High King. Um, and next, striving for godliness. 
In striving, we deny ourselves something good so that we can receive something better. We may, for instance, choose not to look at our phones or email for a time in order that we may read our Bibles. We set our eyes on a goal of godliness, and that motivates us to stretch and push ourselves towards that goal. It's an intentional walking in a certain direction, a goal-oriented determination that is much like an athlete wanting to win a gold medal at the Olympics. Everything that we do in our lives is to be done towards this goal of godliness, knowing our Creator better and being made more and more into His image. My sisters, let us press on towards this goal that is worth more to us than pure gold and riches and any gold medal. We discipline ourselves so that we may delight in Him, drinking deeply from His Word. My last point in this section is that we we need to have the mindset that our devotional life is corporate. That is, our scripture reading is for the good of the body of Christ. Verse 10 says, For this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God. Notice all the plural pronouns. Spiritual discipline, including Bible reading, is to be done together. Your devotional life isn't just for yourself, but for the good of others, or to both depend on others for encouragement and also to encourage others. This means that if scripture reading is your strength, the rest of us need you to exhort and encourage us to keep drinking from God's word. If you wouldn't consider yourself a strong reader, you still have a responsibility to encourage the body of Christ with biblical truth. But in order to do this, we need to be in the word. You can't give others what you don't have in the first place. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thanksgiveness, thankfulness in your hearts to God. Proverbs 27.17 says, Iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. Let us sharpen each other with our scripture reading and our intake of God's word in a corporate way. Um, And I want to give you an example in my own life. Um, The purpose of this story is to illustrate that our devotional lives matter because the the spirit is at work. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. There's something supernatural that happens when we read scripture because the spirit is working in your life and it's penetrating even the deepest, darkest hearts and anger with truths that will never change. And these truths are our sure foundation. When I first got married, um, I had some misunderstandings with my mother-in-law that resulted in a lot of hurt and pain on both sides. Um, I spent years of my life dealing with this anger. Um, I had lots of self-righteousness and, frankly, just arrogance. Um, There was a root of bitterness that had planted its way deeply in my heart, and I never thought God could heal it. The whole situation just seemed too broken and helpless to ever be fixed. 
well, I believe that on paper, God could theoretically heal our relationship. I didn't really believe he would ever really get through to that anger, that hardness in my heart. Um, around that time, I had a seminary assignment to study and apply Acts 8, 26 through 40, which is the story of the salvation of the Ethiopian eunuch. And as I began studying the passage, the theme of circumcision just jumped out at me, and I began to see the story of how God brought this Ethiopian eunuch into his family, even though he wasn't a Jew, even though the law said you had to be circumcised in order to be into God's family, and even though there was no way for the eunuch to ever be circumcised. Um, I realized my mother-in-law had been treating each other like, and I had been treating each other like Jew and Gentile like enemies and not like family. God brought to mind what he said to Peter um, in his dream. What God has made clean, do not call common. How many times had I looked down on my mother-in-law and thought of her as unclean and common because she didn't think the same way that I did? And just as I was writing my paper, the ice and the anger in my heart was being melted away by the gospel. And I saw clearly that she truly was my family, in a bigger sense of the word than just my marriage. For the first time ever, through Christ, I could truly call her my family and mean it. She was my family, not because she had proven herself to be good enough in my eyes, but because God had shown her grace and mercy which is the same that I had received. And that neither of us had done anything to deserve it. She was family based on grace alone, and not because either of us had done what the other had wanted. I mean, circumstantially, nothing had really changed. But because of Christ... I could see her as being washed clean by her maker, washed clean by her savior, um, perfect and blameless in his sight, set apart for Christ. Christ, not our own standards, began to be the cornerstone on which our unity was built. And God has continued to use his words to heal that relationship to this day. I wouldn't have said it then, but I am so grateful to her and for her fellowship and encouragement with Christ. Never doubt that God is eager to speak to you through his word and that he is able to change even the hardest of hearts. For this joy, we discipline ourselves so that we may delight in him drinking deeply from his word. I hope by now I've inspired you that the payoff for discipline is worth the infinite reward of delight in God and godliness. Now let's talk about a few practical tips. Um, Number one, quantity over quality. Um, We've talked about this before. A little bit each day is better than having a quiet time one time a month. That's amazing. Maybe you could start out with 10 minutes or one page of scripture every day. Do something small but doable. Strive for for consistency to make this a habit and not to have these amazing spiritual moments every time. Number two, engage your other senses. 
If you're having a hard time staying focused, um, try standing while reading. Try engaging some of your other senses. Um, so hear the word, read it aloud, um, speak it as you're reading it. Um, also take a pen and underline things that are interesting, things that um, that stand out to you. Another tip in this category is if you're trying to memorize scripture, take a walk where you're trying to memorize um, the passage. Taking a walk and just having that extra movement of the rest of your body will help scripture sink in better and help it stick. Number three, be intentional. Strive to make time. Um, Make time is in like um, Tim's communicate series. One of the M's was make time, and if this uh, that series was on relationships, and this is also the most important relationship, the relationship with God. So make time, M, make time for God. Um, we often have scripture reading in the category important but not urgent, and that's the category that often gets missed when life gets busy. So put scripture reading as an appointment in your schedule. Block off time to do it and set up appointments for yourself in your calendar. Read actively and not passively, um, meaning decide how you want to spend your time um, and don't let your phone or your emergencies dictate how you spend your time. Be proactive in thinking about what do I want to do today? How do I include scripture um, in my calendar today? Um, with the caveat that emergencies do happen, you know, (laughs) this isn't um, a goal of perfection or anything, but a striving. Um, But these emergencies should be the exception and not the rule. Know that um, Satan doesn't want you to read or study scripture, and that he'll tempt you to look anywhere else, and that these things are often um, good, but we often choose the good over the best. The next one is um, slow down. Don't don't skin scripture like you would your phone. Um, Tony Ranke, in his um, amazing book, um, 12 Ways Your Phone Is Changing You, talks about this. Um, just the, the difference between how we look at our phones and um, how we should read scripture. He says... We are called to suspend our chronic scrolling of our phones in order to linger over eternal truth because the Bible is the most important book in the history of the world. Do we really believe that scripture is the most important thing we'll ever read? And um, oftentimes we're tempted just to skim through hard passages just to get through them. But if you have questions about what scripture is saying, um, you know, you won't serve your soul just to breeze through it. Um, take time to see what scripture says about itself. Look up cross-references, you know, look up notes in your study Bible. Get a good study Bible like the ESV study Bible or a nice commentary and take the time to look up the cross-references. Um, the most important commentary really is what scripture says about itself. So take time to see... Um, really how it's intertwined with itself, how it's linked, how it tells one big story. Um, The next um, category is land on Christ. So um, in John 5.39, 
Jesus、um, is talking to the Jewish re- religious leaders who are who have very hard hearts towards the gospel, and he says, "You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. That is, you think by reading your Bibles you have eternal life." But Jesus says, "It is they that bear witness about me." So the the、um, Jewish religious leaders hated Jesus, but they said, "Hey, we're reading our Bibles.、Um, that should that makes us good enough. That that gets us in with God."、Um, they read their Bibles. They did all the right things. They memorized Scripture. But Jesus here says, "If the Scriptures don't take you to Christ." Then the exercise of reading them has no value. It's just a fruitless exercise. Remember that the goal of having a reading plan is not to produce guilt, but delight, because we're brought to Christ. We're brought to Him to see Him, to know Him, and to know His will. We want to sit at His feet, to know Him and hear His words, and to drink in the story of His redemption.、Um, and the next. Tip is just pray.、Um, we can't do anything on our own, so pray that the Spirit would change our hearts and attitudes towards Scripture reading. Maybe your heart is just kind of tired, or your heart is just exhausted and reluct- reluctant to really want to make any change. And only the Spirit can change our hearts and help us to drink His words deeply. Ask him to open your eyes to the truth of the gospel, and to the treasure that is Scripture.、Um, we can't muster up the sheer determination on our own to do this. Christ has to change us. John fifteen four through five says, "Abide in me, and I in you." As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine; you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from script,、uh, from Christ, our scripture reading bears no fruit. We need to pray for His help. We need to ask Him to change us.、Um, now, I want to draw your attention to. Uh, the handout that says the gospel as a story.、Um, so Tim Keller says,、um, many people think of the Bible as a book of moral teachings, with stories sprinkled throughout to illustrate the teachings. But it's a lot better than that. The Bible is a single true story with teachings sprinkled throughout to illustrate the story. So the story doesn't illustrate the teaching. The teaching illustrates the story. Meaning that from start to finish,、um, from Genesis to Revelation, the Bible is a single story of God redeeming His people, saving a people for Himself、um, from their sin.、Um, and the, the Bible, read, front, read completely, is is really a story of redemption,、um, of the main character being God, and He saves His people. He saves His bride. Um, through Christ,、um, and every passage of Scripture is a small stream feeding into that one grand river, that one message that Christ redeemed fallen creation through His life, death, and the resurrection. And these should all be、um, 
streams feeding into that one grand theme. Um, And now, even more than ever, the need to read the Bible to understand the big picture of its storyline and to grasp the relevance of this for your life is critical. So this handout, um, let me pull it up, um, is just intended to be a resource for you um, for a, to have the right perspective on um, how should I read scripture because I think one of the hardest parts of scripture is we don't truly understand how it fits together. Um, it seems to be piecemeal. It seems to have these random stories sprinkled um, throughout. And um, to think of it maybe as different facets of the same diamond um, instead of um, just random, seemingly non-connected stories. Um, so in this handout, the first point is our individual lives are set in the context of a great all-encompassing story. And meaning that we have a role in the story that the Bible is telling. Even if we're, our names aren't written in the Bible, um, God is still the same God, and he's still saving a people for himself. And if we're saved by Christ, saved through God's grace, we're, we're, our stories are also woven into. Um, number two, this story is set against the backdrop of immense battles against evil powers. There is um, there's a war against Satan. Um, remove this context and the story collapses. Um, we need to know that God has saved us from something great, that God has done something amazing, and that Satan hates this. Um, that's also a part of our story. Um, number three, the story of good news involves global redemption. Um, so the story involves nature, history, and people from all walks of life. But the story also um, includes us, too. Um, being in the story automatically connects each one of us with the world um, and with this global story of God saving people for itself. Um, and because of that, we can easily find ways to um, understand and connect with others. Um, I love how the first question under number four in, on this handout says, what are the false stories people live by? In what ways are they creating stories starring themselves? Where have they got the story wrong? It's not only they who can get the story wrong, and each day our hearts struggle with the question of John the Baptist. Are you the Messiah, or should we look for someone else? Am I going to find life, meaning, happiness, security, or fulfillment in Jesus, or am I going to look somewhere else? John was starting to get um, the story wrong, and we're no different. Every time we get the gospel story wrong or forget it, we wind up looking for someone or something else to bring us to life, and we need to drink deeply to have that perspective corrected, to know um, really, um, to, to drink of the right water, um, that doesn't leave us thirsty in the end. Um, number five, um, it's not a set of truths designed to fill our heads, but it is the greatest, greatest story ever told. And that should affect us. That should trump, trump all other stories in our lives. Um, and finally, in any good story, there has to be the right pacing, progression, and development of plot and character. So know that 
we're still learning. It's still the story is still being written in our own lives. I mean, scripture is finished, but the story of our lives and our sanctification and what God's doing through us is still being written, and we get to be a part of it. So, hopefully, that casts a good vision of how to think of scripture, and hopefully, that makes it a little bit less intimidating for you. Um. The next tool um, that I want to point out is um, what is called the clowny triangle. So um, it's just a little flow chart for um, you when we're reading um, scripture and how to walk through um, the right steps um, in making application to our lives. So you start out in the bottom left-hand corner where it says event slash symbol. And this is where... Um, in this step, you know, you read your study Bible, you find out the context of the passage, um, you look up cross-references, this is where you find out everything you can about um, the person, the characters in the story, um, the situations, the events, um, you know, what happened. Um, and then you need to ask the question, um, what biblical theme or truth does the passage illustrate? Um, is it a passage talking about God's holiness? Is it talking about, say, the sacrificial system? Is it talking about God's judgment? Um, is it talking about bad shepherds um, or bad kings? Um, or is it talking about um, something else, like some other truth? Um, what is the truth? Um, number three, if you go through the second arrow that says um, redemptive history, um, how does Christ perfectly fulfill this truth? So how is Christ the perfect um, how is Christ the perfect um, holy one, the the sinless Son of God? Um, how, is, how is Christ the perfect sacrificial lamb? How does he take our judgment um, and perfectly fulfill or bear God's wrath? For our sins? How is he the perfect shepherd in a sea of bad shepherds? How is he the perfect prophet? How is he the perfect king um, leading us in our lives? Um, how does Christ fulfill whatever truth um, is in the passage perfectly? How, you know, how does he, how is he the answer to all the questions, to all the brokenness in the world? And then finally, we go down to application for you. In light of Christ being your good shepherd, um, what is he calling you to do? What is he calling you to change? What, what action is he calling you towards? Um, and the reason for this flowchart is if we skip any of these steps, um, we, we get um, a more shallow um, interpretation. So, for instance, if we skip um, the truth and we go... Um, if we skip the truth and also fulfillment in Christ, if we go straight from the event to application, like the the bottom left-hand corner um, rectangle to the bottom right-hand corner, if we go f- straight from the event or symbol to application, we get moralism. So uh, I just need to be or do what this person did. Um, I just need to have courage like so-and-so. If we skip um, number two, I'm sorry, if we skip the truth, then we miss the story of God's redemption and get a false gospel connection. So if we go from straight from 
the event slash symbol to fulfillment in Christ. Um, we miss like the, the rich biblical themes that are being developed. Um, so for instance, an example of this is um, like Rahab um, was told to hang a scarlet or she hung a scarlet cord in her window. And you could say, oh, well, it's a red scarlet cord. The red is really Jesus's blood. And um, the cord symbolizes the gospel. Um, Well, that's um, kind of a stretch. Like, I wouldn't say that just because something is red, that in the Old Testament, that automatically um, fulfills um, or automatically symbolizes who Christ is um, or Christ... um, in the in the Old Testament, you, there isn't a gospel under every rock or a gospel in every single red thing. Um, that's that would be called typology, and that's um, drawing drawing inferences and in, in, um, um, drawing connections that may not be there. Um, sort of making stuff up. So um, those are the two. Uh, allegory, um, the other one coming down, is really similar to moralism. Um, so those are the three sort of pits that we can fall in. Um, we can't just say, well, we just have to be like this person because we miss Christ, and we can't just leave out the theme because we miss out the connection to the um, bigger truths of Scripture and um we might be making connections that aren't there. So um, I want you guys to have this um, tool to use in your devotional lives. Um, use while you're studying scripture, especially the Old Testament, to think about um, going through these steps and not just going straight from the event to application. Um, and I also wanted to give you an example of um, uh, of how to apply this in a, in a way that feeds our souls. So... Um, most people know the story of David, um, who was, you know, the young shepherd boy who slayed Goliath with just a sling and a stone. Um, a typical application of David and Goliath goes like this. Well, there's many scary obstacles in your life that you need to face. Um, don't run away from these hard things, but face your Goliaths and defeat them just like David did. Um, in this example, this interpretation, you, the reader, are David, and you need to claim victory over your enemies. And this isn't this isn't a false interpretation. I mean, certainly, it's um, there's there's good insights. You know, we do need to face trials that are hard. We do need to um, not run away from things. Um, but this interpretation leaves out Christ and jumps straight from the event to application. Um, here's what I think is a richer way to interpret this passage. So David um, represents Israel as its kingly figure, and he's slain Goliath, who represents Satan. He's defeated Goliath once and for all. He's dead. Who are you in this story, though? You're not David, but you're a soldier in Saul's army, and you are terrified. You are shaking in your boots. You've just seen your king defeat Satan, your enemy. So therefore, even though you're scared, you are called to run and follow your king wherever he calls you because your king is victorious. This victory is already guaranteed. 
so we have the courage to follow him into battle wherever he may lead us. So, you know, again, use this chart as part of your devotional lives. May it bring richness to your scripture reading. Um, And the last tool I wanted to talk about um, is this, um, the roadmap of this uh, Israel story. When I was a young Christian trying to learn about the Bible, one of the hardest parts was that I didn't know what the Bible was about or any of the stories. Um, There's all these prophets in the Old Testament. Um, Who was speaking to who? Um, It seemed to be that they were speaking to some kings that were being bad, and that's all I knew. (laughs) And what's the order of events? Um, I didn't even know Israel was divided into two kingdoms until recently. (laughs) So um, I want you to have... Um, this um, map of um, scripture and the story of scripture and to be able to find where you are in this map. Um, So let's look at at a couple of examples. So if you're reading Joshua, you could look at this chart and find um, Joshua's name. You see that Joshua takes place after the wilderness wanderings, um, during the time of the conquest of Canaan, um, where they're in... um, uh, taking control of the promised land. And that's where it fits in. It's not close to Jesus. It's not um, part of the exile, but it's pretty early on um, in the history. Um, next, uh, where does the book of Isaiah fit in? So go and find Isaiah, and you see that um, Isaiah is um, sort of where these two lines Diverge. Those are the two kingdoms after um, Israel was divided into the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. Isaiah is in Judah, which is made out of two tribes. And he prophesied during the time of Hezekiah and um, right before Manasseh. Um, so you can look at this chart and find Isaiah. And during the time of Hezekiah and Judah um, was when Isaiah was prophesying. Um, and during the divided kingdom before Judah is exiled to Babylon. You can, you know, just sort of get like a little snapshot of the history, and this will hopefully give you the right context to understand the people and circumstances that your passage is located in. And there's a link um, in the handout to where I got this chart from, and there's all sorts of other resources that um, expound on this history more and more. Um, and the other last thing I wanted to mention is that Revelation isn't on this chart. Um, and if you want a great resource on understanding the book of Revelation, I highly commend to you Alex's Truth Walk series. It's a two-part Truth Walk series that's posted on um, the Risen Hope podcast and I think probably also on the Risen Hope Church website. So, um, you know, that's one of the other really scary books of the Bible, and um, he just does such a great job explaining that in a way that's consistent with um, seeing the Bible as a great great story of God's redemption, Um, one story altogether of how Jesus is saving, or God is saving a people through the um, sacrifice of Christ, his son. Um, how he's always been faithful to do that. And he calls us to look to um, eternity um, and the end times and his coming 
um, with joy and um, just with um, worship, a worshipful heart. So um, check that out if you get a chance. Um, So let me pray and close us. God, I pray that we would be women of the word, that we would love your word and um, it would be just a delight to our souls. I pray that we would learn to discipline ourselves. We would make that habits in our lives, in our daily lives, that we would um, want to drink deeply from your word um, and feast on the treasure that um, you've laid before us. Um, Help us to renew our minds. Um, Help us to um, take in your word so that it would change us. It would change every part of us, every hidden um, crevice of sin, Lord, that you would uh, pierce that with your truth and with your gospel. Would you do a mighty thing through um, this women's ministry and through um, this body of Christ, Lord. May you be glorified in our scripture reading and we worship you and we give you all the praise and glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.